everyone. Welcome to the second episode of Woso Daily. I am Joey, uh, normally producing, but I'll be on the mic today. I'm with Ryan again. Ryan, how are you doing? How do you like the uh, first day of action? I'm doing well, doing well. Thanks, Joey. Um, yeah, it was a good day. Quality of play wasn't great, but I think in terms of the uh, the results, we had a lot of fun. So we'll take that, right? Yeah, no. It, and I, the first thing I mentioned, I made a post in the Discord about this, is just like watching the games and hearing the crowds is just like, man, it like gives me chills because it's just like pure emotion, national pride. And it's cool to see countries from all over the world kind of develop the fervor for the American or for the women's game that we have in America. Yeah, I think having the 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 double host kickoff day really put a shot in the arm for the tournament. Obviously, New Zealand getting their first ever win. We saw the the anthem pregame. The crowd was into it. The whole ninety plus. Allie Riley in her post game interview was at a loss for words, which is not something Allie Riley normally is. And then game two. I mean, if you're gonna handpick two teams for the most entertaining crowds you could do a lot worse than ireland australia australia being the hosts generally a sport mad country just in general and then ireland just travels really well they're another sport mad country and given the historical connection between ireland and um, australia it's a good friendly crowd too obviously on the game uh, the field is a bit rock fighty which we all kind of expected given the temperaments of both of those teams. But yeah, crowd-wise, what a joy. Yeah, um, and I guess we'll just jump into it, start recapping the day one action. Like you mentioned, it was the two hosts getting the spotlight on day one. First, uh, The first game to play was New Zealand and Norway. This was a game that you had predicted an, uh, a draw, um, kind of New Zealand playing that like hard block defense, Norway maybe not being able to break it down. But I know that you were saying that Norway was supposed to be the stronger side. But really looking at this game, New Zealand had, I mean, an incredible performance. Uh, They were able to weather the storm in the first half and then in the second half uh, pretty early on, 48-minute mark. Hannah Wilkinson, the player that you previewed yesterday, gets a tapping goal. Uh, Beautiful setup by Bradley on the outside. Yeah, and from that point forward, it was all New Zealand. They even got a penalty towards the end that they put off the crossbar. Rhea Percival missing that one, and that would have been a goal to seal it. But like you said, the 1-0 result gives New Zealand their first ever win in Women's World Cup history, and they did it at home in front of that raucous crowd. I think this is a a great game uh, to kick off the tournament and will massively, massively help New Zealand's chances in trying to advance out of the group. Yeah, I think not just in terms of what it does for New Zealand's chance to get out of the group, but I think it just kind of, you roll the dice if you're also Philippines or Switzerland, uh, because we see Norway drops three points they were expecting to have. And then if you're either of those teams today, Philippines or Switzerland, you, you nick a goal today and you're tied for top of the group after day one. Um, which I don't think either could have really expected to be ahead of Norway and first in the group. But looking with uh, New Zealand and Norway, I think the uh, the Kiwi crowd really said it best when late in the first half, we had a nice loud defense chant from the crowd off of a corner kick. And that was really what New Zealand I expected from them. But 
you know, they, you mentioned them weathering the storm. They were the storm. Norway just didn't want to play soccer today. Their first half, they were, I wrote over deliberate with the way they tried to build out. They'd sit back, let New Zealand play with the ball, which I didn't expect in any way. Like New Zealand just set the tempo. And you know, in the first half, Norway didn't put a shot on target. They had two really speculative efforts blocked. But Norway just didn't want to play soccer in that first half. And it let New Zealand get settled, which we talked about yesterday. New Zealand, they are an organized get settled and then play from their team. And then Norway just let them play their game. They let New Zealand dictate the game the way I expected Norway to dictate the game. It opened up a little bit in the second half, but opened up again mostly for New Zealand. Norway had a couple half chances, couldn't really put anything on frame until stoppage time. They were basically entirely off of the stat sheet. Um, They had a one shot, um, one header saved, really nothing going forward. Their whole plan was just to bypass the midfield and let their front three, front four do the work. And there was just nothing going. New Zealand was too well settled in with their back four. And they didn't let Norway have anything uh, going forward. They didn't let them get settled and play with it. Yeah, that's not the result or the game I expected. But we're happy to have something like that to kick off the tournament, right? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Uh, And I guess quickly before we finish up on this game, I I did want to ask, because you mentioned that Norway was over-deliberate, not getting uh, too many chances, um, even in the first half. Why do you think that is? When you have players like Hegerberg and Graham Hansen up top, like those are quality individuals. Wouldn't you want to feed them and see what they can do with the ball? Like, What do you think the calculus was there from Norway? Truthfully, I don't know. I, there was no world where I thought that New Zealand would dictate the game and Norway would just say, nah, no thanks. When we kind of talked about how Norway's midfield wasn't really their strength, and it looked like they just didn't want to play through their midfield. Brighton was a little bit deeper. Engen was deeper than I thought they would be, but they just didn't want to play through them. They took Manimov and were able to do a little bit more in the midfield after that substitution, but the plan seemed to be absorb New Zealand's pressure and then kick the ball to our attackers, which just didn't work. They didn't play their game, and they lost because of it. I, I I can't think of a good rationale for why Norway chose to not play the game. Um, I got nothing. And neither did they. Yeah, neither did they. Uh, I'll give you the last word on this game. I will tee you up, though. Allie Riley, the captain, we talked about her um, uh, before the game. And she just continues to deliver for this national team. A couple major tackles to prevent big opportunities Um, from Norway. What can you say about her performance and her leadership for this team? Yeah, I think um, one of the things that Norway sitting back let them do was let Riley dictate the tempo. Like the the most touches on the field was their right back, CJ Bott, but then Riley was right behind her with uh, 50 touches. They could just take their time, pick their spots, and then let – the, the cool head of Ali Riley just let them run the system. Defensively, I think she had three tackles, but two of them were 
one-on-one on the wing, one against Hansen, and I think one was Hedeberg. Like, the, the chances that Norway did take ended at Ali Riley, or they ended at their back line. I think Norway let New Zealand play through their fullbacks and then just create the chances that they I didn't think they'd have. But having a veteran like Ali Riley, who she can play very mean, and I like that about her. I like mean players. Um, but she didn't have to play mean today. She just played calm and casually, which is something you want from from your leader, from your captain. Yep. So New Zealand takes the opening three points, a massive win for them. We saw in our boy dope islands predictions that this will massively increase their chances of moving on. Really, if they're just able to get one win, I know this is their first win. So it seems like we're asking again a lot, but if they're able to get 1.3 points in their next game, they're going to be through, you know, and that's massive um, in terms of having that home field advantage heading into the knockouts because we know that knockout round soccer is different than group stage soccer. So this win just opened up a lot of possibilities for this New Zealand team. We can move on to the other host, Australia. They also won their opening game 1-0 against Ireland, though I think the mood around the Australia camp may be different than the one around the New Zealand one at this point because we learned pregame that uh, before um, the game, actually the uh, in training the day before their opening game, star forward Sam Kerr is out for the next two games for Australia. Ryan, I know you're a doctor, so this is kind of your area of expertise, but you want to uh, detail what Kerr's injury is and how this is going to impact Australia. Uh, Leah, let me grab my not-a-doctor hat here. Um, we don't really have many details. It's a calf injury which a calf injury could be a, a cramp and they're just being conservative with her uh, return to play. Maybe it was just tight and they didn't want to push it. Or I mean, we're looking at like Giovanni Reina has a calf injury from last month and still isn't training. Now, Gia Reina is made of paper mache and dreams and Sam Kerr is made of goals and anger. So the chances of Sam Kerr rebounding quicker than a Gia Reina I'll put money on that. Um, but we don't know what it is, as far as I know. We woke up and just saw, hey, Sam Kerr's not playing, which that's kind of a game changer for them going forward. And you could really see that the, it changed the way they wanted to play today. They couldn't just work the wings and get it to Sam Kerr because there was no Sam Kerr to get it to. They really had to spend more time trying to break down Ireland's it's a very strict 5-4-1. You could screenshot at almost any time uh, with a wide view and see bank of five, bank of four, and then one up top. Like Ireland took advantage as best they could with uh, Sam Kerr being out and really made Australia work for it. Katie McCabe is, I've mentioned my like of very mean people. She's a very mean people. She doesn't like other people playing soccer. She wants to do all the soccering. And when she sees soccer being done, she just wants to destroy it. And I love that. <laughs> I think the uh, the tag from this game we picked up from Bill Mitty um, in the, the Discord, uh, just in-swingers and elbows. A lot of balls whipped in, a lot of collisions, not a heck of a lot of soccering. But that's what's going to happen when you lose one of the five best players on the planet unexpectedly. Um, I mentioned Courtney Vine yesterday as someone I'd 
like to see coming off the bench. Well, she came off the bench to start. She was the the Kerr replacement. And I like Courtney Vine. She is not Sam Kerr. She, I think from what Australia did have in the first half, a lot of it came through either Cooney Cross playing balls forward or from Courtney Vine trying to just dribble the Irish line. Neither were all that successful. Their best chance in the first half was a 35-yard effort from a center back. That's not going to work going forward past these opening games. In the second half, it opened up a little bit more, similar to the first game. I mean, the New Zealand-Norway game, pretty quiet first half, and then things got more lively. We saw that in this game, too. All of Ireland's chances came in the second half, mostly in like two five-minute blocks, one around the 75th minute, and then in stoppage time again. Um, they had a little bit of pressure. Ireland played pretty similarly to the way Norway played in terms of sitting back and letting the other team dictate the game, which we expected in this case. Ireland is that team to sit back, sit back with their five, let O'Sullivan and Little John run the midfield, like I mentioned yesterday. I think the issue Ireland had was that Shiva and Fairley were not very effective going forward when they had the chance. Obviously, Shiva's big mark on the game was just a two-hand shove in the back leading to a penalty, which is not what you want your, your forwards doing defensively. So I think the, the big takeaway is that Australia comes out with three points. This will probably be, I think they're still in a good spot. No, they, they miss Sam Kerr for the next game against Nigeria. Hopefully they can get her back for that third game in the group. Hopefully if you're them at this point, you're hoping to have locked up uh, progression out of the group. Because if you don't, you have Canada waiting in the third game. And if they don't walk away with at least four points, if not six, after round two, they are in trouble. Yep. Even though I think they should probably beat Nigeria, Australia is a good team, have been good for a while. Without Sam Kerr, again, we saw that it was much tougher um, to create those kind of opportunities. And then, obviously, Sam Kerr's finishing touches, maybe second to none in the world. So... We'll see what happens with her injury, and obviously we want her to come back because she is a good player, and we want to see the best best players play uh, for all the teams in this tournament. I guess final thoughts on this game. Uh, Steph Catley uh, came up, buried the penalty, absolutely stone cold uh, into the upper 90. I guess f- from an Ireland perspective, do you think that this team – can keep playing like this and get the necessary points to get out of this group. Because when you have already lost Australia and you still have Canada coming up topping at this point, one of those two teams in terms of total points just looks like a really hard ask for this Ireland team. Yeah. I mean, I think um, when you're drawn into a group with the reigning Olympic champions and then the host, you're always playing behind, you're playing from behind there. So I don't think anything changes for Ireland going forward. If anything, I think you can take a little bit away from, you can see that their lines held pretty well. Like They had the, the penalty they allowed. Besides that, they allowed one other shot, and it was a, get a 35-yard effort from a center back. If you're Ireland, yeah, you walk away with no points, but I think you can take from this that your principles work. They held Australia goalless from the run of play, one shot, Beside that, and I think if you look forward, you know, next up, if you're Ireland, you get Canada, 
which we'll look at Canada a little bit later, but they're a team that you can shut down too. Canada likes to play the suffer ball style. And if you can play with your lines similar today, like you did or today against them, you can probably nick a similar result. And then you come into day day three with Nigeria, look to get a win. Three points might do it. If you can maybe get a uh, draw against Canada, four points gets you through usually. Um, so if you're Ireland, yeah, you lost, but not much changes. I think they can still look forward and say, yeah, we, got a, we have a, a chance at this. Yeah, and I think at this point, you know, always when you lose that first game, if you still have a chance, then I think that's all you can ask for. We can quickly touch on these uh, next, uh, the, the three games coming up tonight into tomorrow morning. Don't have to spend too long on them. Nigeria and Canada, the other game in Group B, that's the Australia-Ireland group. Nigeria uh, comes in, the heavy underdogs, I'd say, in this game. Canada, the betting favorites, You're running out Christine Sinclair probably for the last time. This is a team that is the last winner of a major tournament, the Olympic gold medalists. But I think they've shown weaknesses, and I don't, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I wouldn't say that they're the same team that won gold just in terms of their recent performances because they've looked a little shaky. There's something to that. I think a lot of people are overlooking Canada in terms of the top-tier favorites. Like you mentioned, they are the reigning gold medalists. Tokyo was weird. That was a weird tournament. Obviously, they were all in isolation, playing in front of quiet stands. That's weird. That's a weird way to play a tournament. And... Their most recent one since then was the W Championship, where they ran into the U.S. and lost uh, lost one nil in a revenge game from the the last time we, the U.S. played them when the U.S. lost one nil. I like Canada uh, to get out of this group. They're they're one of the tournament favorites. It's the group stage. The stronger teams tend to get through, especially at the, at the Women's World Cup. I think it's an interesting matchup for Canada in the first. Uh, the first game to play a team like Nigeria. When we talk about Norway's front line. <laughs> Nigeria's front line, in some ways, can be scarier. You've got Ifi Onamanu from Gotham on one side, Uchenna Kanu from Racing Louvre on the other side, and then in the middle is, I think, the scariest player in the world, Oshawala from Barcelona. I think she's consistently ignored and overlooked in terms of awards and best 11s, etc., if I'm taking one player that I don't want to see against me, it's Oshawala's in that short list. She is horrifying to have to stop. And we saw Canada's backline is they're really good. They got a really good backline. Ashley Lawrence from PSG moving to Chelsea now. Uh, Khadija Buchanan with Chelsea. We'll probably see her partner with uh, Vanessa Giles from uh, Angel City FC on loan from Lyon. Really strong backline that you'd think would be able to neutralize that front three from Nigeria especially considering the rest of their team isn't particularly that strong. They're a really inexperienced team, Nigeria. Um, they only have two players over 50 caps, and one of them being their 40-year-old captain on the back line, uh, Abby. She's sitting, she's 40 years old, their captain. And you look at Canada's in terms of their cap total. Nigeria totals 500 caps. And between Christine Sinclair and Sophie Schmidt, that's two, over 500 caps right there from, <laughs> from Canada. They have 13 players over 50 caps. 
five over 100 and two over 200. Nigeria, they're a good offensive team. Michelle Elozier is a strong right back option for them. And actually really like their goalkeeper. Looking at the the day today of the, the six teams playing, I think five or sorry, four of them are notable for their goalkeepers. And I think Chamaka Ndozier from Nigeria is one of those key goalkeepers. Um, she helped Paris FC qualify for the, the Champions League this year, finishing top three in the French League. They're not a particularly well-organized defense, Nigeria. Um, they play a pretty high line. And when they played the U.S. in those recent friendlies, they would switch off once in a while and we'd hit them on the counter. And I think that's kind of the way that Canada's going to want to look at this too. Canada, looking at uh, up top with Jordan Heidema, then their midfield, they run that double pivot with uh, Julia Grosso and Jesse Fleming probably. Julia Grosso, one of the best all-around midfielders in CONCACAF, one of the players to watch for today and tomorrow. Made the best 11 for Serie A last year, was named midfielder of the year in Serie A. And then past them, Sophie Schmidt, Quinn, the two of them are awesome off the bench too. I think Sophie Schmidt is one of the most underrated players in NWSL. Obviously, she's getting up there in age, but she can still deliver. And Quinn, they're an awesome player off the bench too, is a good defensive option. Bring them on to help solidify, uh, close the game out. Attack-wise, you mentioned Heidema. Uh, you mentioned Christine Sinclair earlier, kind of playing that free 10 role, a little more free than she does with Portland. At Portland, she and Crystal Dunn have that like pistoning eight role they can play. Here she has a bit more freedom. Nichelle Prince back from injury, hopefully, um, and Adriana Leone on the right side. Again, this game should not be competitive, I wouldn't think. You, know, you mentioned Dopey earlier, and he has like 85% chance that Canada wins this game. Likely they do. They <laughs> they play a pretty painful style to watch sometimes. Again, they lean into the suffer ball, but it works for them because they have the defense, strong center mids, and they can go uh, go forward pretty well too. But again, the Nigeria's got a great goalkeeper. Uh, their front three is really fun. So let's see what happens. I think um, I if you don't have Canada winning this game, then you're banking on an upset. But like you laid out, that upset is, it, it could happen, like you mentioned, in major tournaments. Good goalkeepers have an outsized importance in terms of their role in the 11. And you said the striker Oshawala from Barcelona, again, all you need is a moment. And so if you have Oshawala is able to produce something and Indozier is able to make a couple good saves, there you go. That could be 1-0. Um that could be one no right there. So for Nigeria and Canada, that is the first game to kick off tonight at 1030. Again, Australia, the uh, of three points in that group, Ireland on zero points in those teams, uh, Canada and Nigeria will close out match day one in group B starting at 1030 p.m. on the east tonight. Very, very quickly on the Philippines and Switzerland. I think this is maybe the, the more boring game of the night um not neither team is like uninteresting i would say but i think compared to uh the spain costa rica game that we'll get to in a minute this philippine switzerland game doesn't have as much going for it but do you have any major pointers on this game before we move to the spain one um yeah i think in terms of being boring um i think it's i would say non-favored it's not a headline game today but i think these teams are really balanced again mentioning dopey's model 
he has a pretty much a coin flip, win, loss, draw, either way. Switzerland, they're a very organized, balanced, steady team. They play, they play very Swiss. They are very clean. They stay organized. They play slowly. They dictate the pace. They're a very steady team. Ramona, uh, sorry, Ramona Bachman up top from PSG, There's, along with Anna Maria Cernogorsevich up top, is kind of their, uh, their one-two punch up top. You've got Barcelona. You've got PSG on the resumes. Looks good. Two Arsenal players, Leo Walti and Noel Moritz, a little bit deeper. Walti kind of playing more centrally. Moritz on the back line. They're just a very steady team. Again, Geraldine Reutler, a steady player in the midfield. That's just the big word for them is steady. Alicia Lehman on the bench, partnering Rachel Daly this year at Aston Villa, is a little more of a dynamic player. Someone with Serna Gorsevich, who we'll probably see outright. She played left back for Barcelona towards the end of the year just for fun. But I think if you're getting anything from Switzerland besides steady, it'll be from Serna Gorsevich or Lehman. I'm actually really jazzed about the Philippines. When I was working at Wisconsin-Milwaukee, two of their players were playing there on the women's team. Their starting goalkeeper, uh, Olivia McDaniel, and then one of their wingers, Chandler McDaniel, both playing for Milwaukee. They're a really cool story. Uh, Just this whole team in general. Very few of the players are actually Philippine-born. I think I saw that there are more players from California than the Philippines on this team. But they had an awesome year last year. Uh, they qualified for their first World Cup by getting to the semifinals of the AFC Asian Cup. They beat Chinese Taipei in penalties, where actually McDaniel, the goalkeeper, in rounds four, made a save, converted her penalty, and then made a save in round five to come back from a 2-1 deficit. So, yeah, she went save, converted penalty, save which, again, having worked with her in Milwaukee, I was losing my mind on the couch watching that game. Um, so I'm excited to see her and uh, her, her sister Chandler at the World Cup, which is still weird for me to say. They do have some uh, other talents. Uh, Serena Bolden, former U.S. Uh, under-23 under player, playing for Western Sydney. Uh, the captain, Anis, is playing in Iceland right now. Most of the players kind of play amateurish level. The... Uh, Philippines just got their women's league back up. I don't think it's fully professionalized yet. Um, but you have some players. Um, Sophia Harrison, I think, played for Werder Bremen. So some European experience. One player with Red Star Belgrade, uh, Quezada. It's just going to be vibes. They're a really fun team. And I think it's not going to draw the headlines, but it's the game I'm most looking forward to watching personally. That's fun. I didn't realize you had a, a connection with that Phil- uh, the Philippines team. That's amazing. Um but yes, that sounds like a lot of fun. Uh, now you got me rooting for the Philippines in that one. Finally, last game we'll touch on uh, on day two of Woso Daily. Spain and Costa Rica. We got Costa Rica, the CONCACAF team, but the eyes of the world will be on Spain. They've had problems with their federation. Alexia Puteas missed the last major tournament due to injury. So Spain has yet to break out onto the stage the way we know they can. They're a Barcelona-heavy team, a Barcelona team that uh, won the Champions League, has been unbelievable over these last couple years, and it hasn't come together yet for Spain. So I guess first question, do you think it can come together for Spain in this tournament, and what are you looking for in this game specifically as they take on Costa Rica? 
whether or not they come together as a team kind of comes down to them. Like you said, in terms of you know, roster talent, um, I mean, they have Pateas, who's back from injury, fit to play, hopefully. In her absence, they ended up with the second best player in the world, with Bon Mati, who filled in her role there. Their front line with Athena Gedostillo and Esther Gonzalez playing together for Real Madrid. You basically get lines of like Madrid, Barca, and then Madrid. Their back line is half Madrid, half Barca. It would be stronger if they had uh, Mape Leon, who declined to participate in the tournament. With Spain, you can't talk about Spain without talking about uh, the 15. 11 of them still not on the roster, I think. I mentioned the goalkeepers being of interest in this group for me. And for them, it's Panyos not being here. Uh, the Barca goalkeeper said, no, nah, I'm good. On the back line, Mape Leon said, no, nah, I'm good. Guijarro in midfield said, no, nah, I'm good. They still haven't put their issues with the Fed to the side quite yet. And that's what's held them back in the past. You know, they've never gotten past around a 16. They kind of flopped out in the Euros again. They were hurt. They weren't playing together with their best their best roster. And they're still not there with their best roster. <laughs> even with that, they still have one of the most talented rosters on the planet. So I've even mentioned their right back, Onya Bate just making the move to Barca because you have to play for Barca or Madrid to play for Spain, it seems. I think Jenny Hermoso is now the only player not in Spain on the roster playing down with Pachuca. It's hard to analyze this game much past can Spain get it together. Costa Rica, they're not a particularly strong team on the national stage. Uh, they performed really well at the W. They got out of the, uh, got through qualifying. They have Rocky Rodriguez from Portland, who's a fun player. Melissa Herrera's talented. And they might have the best-named player in the tournament with uh, Priscilla Chinchilla, uh, fresh of Glasgow City. Can Spain get it together? Can they stop the infighting? Because Madrid and Barcelona can't get along. The players in the Fed can't get along. If they can put that aside, the path is there for them to make a deep run. If they can't, they'll go home early again. I mean, that's I think it's that simple. I mean, it, most of my notes were shrug. Can they do it? I don't know. Let's find out. Yeah, I think that'll be the game probably over the next 24 hours with the most intrigue simply because, like you said, the path is there and it has been there before. And yet Spain have failed to seize the moment. Will this be the year? Right? We This happened with the men. Like the men's team didn't win a world. This is Spain. The men's team didn't win a World Cup until 2010. Like for Spain, sometimes it takes a little longer. And maybe this will be the year that it finally comes to pass for the women. But until we've seen it, I'm not going to believe it. And Costa Rica, like you said, Priscilla Chinchilla, great name. Uh, <laughs> Raquel Rodriguez. Again, like they have a few pieces, but this Spain team on paper is overwhelming. And the, again, the only question is, can they be overwhelming when push comes to shove? Can they get out of the group and can they make a deep run? We will see. But those are really the five games that we had to talk about today. Uh, the two games, the Australian New Zealand games, both win one nil wins uh, for the host nations. And then three more games coming up in the next 24 hours. The World Cup is now really coming in to swing. And Ryan, it's been delightful to talk to you today. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. Listeners, thank you so much. We'll be back tomorrow. Same bat time, same bat channel. 
This has been Woso Daily. We'll see you.